You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, welcome to the Fair Game Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Robert Smith, and today's guest joins us from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, where she's the general manager of the North Idaho State Fair, which runs annually in August. Alexia Jordan, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm glad you could be here. Now, your, your fair's pretty far north there in Idaho. What, you're just about, I think I looked on the map, about 100 miles from the Canadian border? Yeah, that's about right. So what can you tell us about your event? About our fair? Well, um, I think one of the things I love about our fair is it still has a really uh, great traditional country feel to it. But uh, we've been able to bring in such great entertainment in the last, you know, five, six years that, that um, we really get a great draw and people seem to love the feel and the vibe that comes out of our facility. So it just, um, like I said, has that great traditional feel to it, but it's also um, brings something new every, every time. And you were talking about the entertainment. What kind of uh, entertainment or concerts, headliners? Is that what you're looking at? You know, we're not super, I mean, we're doing concerts, we're growing our concerts, and it's, it's pretty exciting for us. Um, I think we finally got a, a plan that's working really well, but, but it's the grounds attractions that we do a great variety in. Uh, the last two years, with the exception of 2020, of course, uh, we had the high dive show, uh, we've had the sea lions, and, and just uh, things that you don't normally see up here in North Idaho, which has been really fun. Yeah, now for those of you who don't know you, can you give a little background on how you came to be the general manager at the North Idaho State Fair? Sure. Uh, you know, I am blessed to have been involved in a, a family that that loves fairs. So I grew up showing and showing horses and cattle and sheep, uh, sewing projects, all of those things. But then my mom became a fair manager up in Bonner County. She was a manager up there for 16 years. And uh, she really lit a passion in, in us to love our county fairs. And uh, it just so happened that this job popped open at the right time in my life. And I took the position as assistant general manager in 2015. And then in 2016, at the end of the year, became the general manager. So you've kind of got a pedigree for fairs in your bloodline then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's similar to um, Courtney Conkle, who we had on the show, whose father's been in concessions and been doing fairs for decades. So um, I, I'm seeing a trend with some of the folks that I've interviewed on the podcast of, of young fair managers who are following in family footsteps through some manner. It is one of those fields that once you get in, it feels like it keeps you, it's, it holds you in. And I think for me personally, as an entertainer, as a grounds attraction in this industry, I think it's the people that make this industry feel more like family than business. Do you agree? Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. It's, um, it's a passion. It's something that just becomes a part of your life. And I can't actually imagine doing anything else. Same. That's, that's been really difficult with this pandemic for me personally is, you know, we got to make sure we've got revenue and, and income and being an entertainer. We're all pretty much sitting on the sidelines right now. And I've sat here going, well, is this what I want to continue to do? Do I need to go find something else? And I, I can't see myself doing anything but entertaining people. I, I don't know how I would, I would work around that doing anything else. If you weren't working in this industry, do you think 
there's something else you would be doing? Like, what else would you like to do? Or is, or is it only fairs? Cause that's kind of where it's at with me. You know, I, you, for me, it's only fairs. I don't know what else I would do. I, I've thought about that, especially in the last year, you know, what happens if things don't go get to a better state. Uh, and I just can't think that way. I have to know that this is where I'm going to be. I love it so much. I mean, aside from being a horse trainer and let's tell you, I can't make any money doing that. So I got to <laughs> feed my kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So this is, this is where I want to be. Now, how old are your kids? I have a son that's 10 and my daughter is seven. 10 and seven. See, I've got a 10 year old son also. And I wonder sometimes if he will grow up and he will become an entertainer of some kind. I mean, ultimately in the long run, as long as he's happy and he's kind, then I don't really care. He can paint and catch up for all I care. It doesn't matter. Um, but do you see your kids latching on to anything within the fair industry? Are they involved in like 4-H or FFA or anything like that? Yeah. So my daughter's still in Clover Buds. My son, we he's a little shy. Um, my, to be totally honest, I've always been pretty shy too. So He's tried to do pig and he's doing leather crafting and some other things, but uh, they love coming to work events with me. And anytime they get a free opportunity, they're all about uh, whatever needs to be done next. They're going to help mom do it. And it's, it's just fun. It's fun. And Charlie, my daughter got to make cotton candy during our fair food fix this year. And they just, it's little memories like that, that I think um, get, get stuck in you and, and make you love it so much. So I hope so. I hope they follow in my footsteps, but right. You, you know. got two, two young fair managers up and coming there in Idaho. Or I think my daughter will be on the entertainment side of things. She's just a character. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, has it been difficult for them with the pandemic going on? And um, like, are they in school where what's kind of the status of what's going on up there in Idaho right now? Honestly, we're, we're pretty blessed. Uh, with school. My kids have been in school five days a week ever since the beginning of September. So going pretty well there, it's been such a blessing for me to be able to keep working uh, throughout this pandemic. So obviously business looks really different these days, but super happy that they're going to school and I'm still coming to work. Yeah, for sure. Um, and speaking of the pandemic, let's take that trip back to early 2020 virus starts coming on shore not far from where you guys are over in Seattle is where it kind of started to, was to be I guess ground zero in the United States and it's starting to make its way around the country it gets politicized almost instantly and then Houston cancels their show what are you thinking when you look back at March of 2020 and Houston Livestock show of all shows as big as it is shuts down just days into their run it's, it's heartbreaking to watch. It's heartbreaking to hear, uh, you know, the fair family is, is tight. And so seeing anybody have to go through all of that is, you know, just hurts your heart. But then you think about, well, what does this mean for our fair and how is this going to change? And things up here in North Idaho have been a little different. Um, folks are pretty, uh, conservative minded for the most part. And masks are not really something people want to do. And, and it's, um, you know, even though we got shut down and we couldn't have events for a while, it eventually picked back up and we were lucky to have some and, and implement, you know, you learn as you watch all these other fairs, either try and modify or cancel and you take little bits and pieces from all of that and you try and make it work for you because it's, it's one of those years that's just been really hard to navigate. It has been. From a leadership standpoint, 
what are some of the key things that you did to begin responding to this crisis? Well, again, like I said, um, North Idaho is one that it seemed like everybody was going to keep marching forward no matter what. So we held on as long as we possibly could. You get to that point where there's a moment where you say, gosh, if, if we get shut down and we're already into this, the financial impact would be um, horrific. So obviously you need to take a moment to think with your head and not your heart and go, this is the right decision for the moment. I've got to cancel. And uh, ugh, it's heart-wrenching. It's heart-wrenching because there's so many people involved, your entertainers, your volunteers, everybody loves what they're doing. Uh, and so, like I said, we held on as long as we possibly could. Right. Eventually you got to, what, what was it about late June when you finally had to pull the plug on it? Yeah, it was uh, the very last week in June that we, we ended up making that announcement. Well, and I think, you know, you make a really good point about your financial commitments when you consider that the Miami-Dade fair canceled like 15 to 30 minutes, they were shut down. Everybody was there. Advertising dollars had been spent, tickets had been sold, entertainers had paid, you know, to pay their travel to get it, all of that. Everybody's ready to go. And I guess County Health came in and said, you're done. So that's pretty devastating, which I think there were some, I know on the entertainment side, as as we started getting the cancellations from our, our side, there were a number of entertainers that were like, why are they canceling two, three months, four months before their event? And I think that, that Jerry Hammer up at Minnesota State Fair said it best when he, he gave the analogy of a runway and an airplane. Mm -hmm. Some events just need a lot more runway, you know, because they're bigger. They need more runway to get off the ground. And there's a point, regardless of your size, whether you're North Idaho or the Minnesota State Fair, there's a certain, there's a, a day in there where you're going to have to commit your marketing dollars and you're going to have to spend those funds. And if you, why risk have that risk? And because if you get canceled, then you're out that money. Yeah. And that was a risk that financially we could not take on that, that burden. So uh, it's hard. And he made, he made the best speech with that runway and it made perfect sense to me. And it was heartbreaking when you watch it, but um, it really did make sense because a lot of people believe that the fair just pops up overnight and it's like this magical thing that just happens and and yay and it takes a year of planning to make, mm -hmm. make it all come together there's so many moving pieces and parts that um have to work together to make it work and, and um yeah it, it was not something that was just heartbreaking it is um and i think most guests that we've had on the show, just like you ended up facing outright cancellation. I know a handful of them modified some of the shows down in Texas went from a full fair to, you know, only their rodeo or only their livestock stuff. And yeah, it is heartbreaking. And, and a lot of people have been touched by this. Cause I think you're right. A lot of people out there in our communities just see a fair that just seems to magically pop up, but they don't realize there's sometimes hundreds, if not thousands of volunteers behind the scene and there's an, a group of employees that work for our state and county fairs that it's heartbreaking when you do all this work and then you have to say, it's not happening. How did you and your staff feel? Like, how was, what was the vibe with your staff when the decision finally had to get made? Oh, gosh. Well, first off, um, as events started canceling, we had to some of our staff too and and lay them off so by the time it got to that point there was you know maybe five of us still left uh one of my board members 
said it best. She goes, you know, you spend, it's like, it's like waiting for your calf to be born. You wait and you, you breed this animal and you're so excited for the baby to come. And then, and then it doesn't happen for you and it goes tragically wrong and you don't get to have this beautiful calf that you've been planning for. And, and she's a rancher and it made perfect sense to me going, you know, we, we didn't get to have that that baby we were planning for all year long. Right. Uh, and it, it was just devastating. And I'll be the first one to admit there was a lot of tears involved. And uh, yeah, to, to recoup from that and um, decide to push forward for bigger and better things in 2021 was how we had to handle it. We had to jump and say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to be bigger and better and stronger than ever because we made this tough decision today and as heartbreaking as it is we're going to come back better well you certainly hope when you're making that decision that that's that's the plan i mean you think about the money that you saved by not trying to push forward and not having those expenses some folks i think in the on the entertainment side don't realize most probably do, but I know for facts, looking at the Facebook message boards and whatnot, there's some that just weren't getting it as it was happening, that those dollars that you saved were able to keep your organization afloat to get to 21. I think it was Jeremy Parsons came on the show um, from Clay County in Iowa, and he said, he's the analogy that we lost 2020. 21 is going to be some sort of probably a modified fare, but it will be the life raft that gets us to 2022, which is hopefully a fully operational and back to normal fare. So, you know, hopefully by the summer of the time summer 21 rolls around, this pandemic is working its way towards being in our rear view mirror. But in the meantime, you still have to plan for that 21 show. How do you and your team go about that task while you're still technically in the middle of a pandemic? Well, I, I heard somebody the other day say something about a fluid plan and how tired they are of hearing about a fluid plan, but that is literally the only thing you can do because you can only plan for the moment that we're in right now. And the moment we're in right now means I would not have a fair. So I've got to have a fluid plan moving forward that says, here's plan A, B, C, and D. And depending on where we're at, this is where we're going to be. So yeah, again, this year we have multiple plans, multiple scenarios. And I think, um, I feel like we've worked very closely with our health departments to make sure that we can have some um, type of fair. And I'm hoping it's uh, it's bigger than I, some of my plans make them. <laughs> I right. hope we can keep progressing into bigger and better things. So uh, I feel at the moment confident that where we're going is going to be like Jeremy said, that lifeboat to move us forward. Um, and I feel pretty, pretty positive about the whole thing. For sure. Now, assuming you can open, there could be a, still at that point, you run in what mid to late August you guys run. Yeah. Um, there could still be a lot of concern from your community and from your attendees about safety and, you know, am I going to get sick if I go to the fair? Because I think one thing that's happened is the media has beat it, beat a lot of fear into our heads about, about, you know, going out in public and, you know, wear a mask and don't be near people. And, and it, it just feels like it's been a really, there's been a psychological impact, I think, on our communities. And I, I guess the question then is, do you guys 
look closely at your messaging for your, your marketing messaging for 2021 and how you communicate to your, your community that your event is COVID safe, that you've got, you know, you're, if you are in de facto at that point, you're requiring masks or so, you know, physical distancing, or, you know, are you looking at that kind of messaging? Well, yeah, of course we need to look at that because you've got two types of people that you're marketing to throughout this pandemic. Those who are afraid of it and those who think it's, it's a flu and we don't need to be home and we should be out and about. So it's, it's really a, a teeter-totter. It's a balancing act of how to market to both those types of people to let them know one, we've got a safe fare and two, it's gonna happen. Um, with some restrictions, but not so many restrictions that you're not going to attend. So it, like, it's a, it's a teeter totter. We've got to, it's definitely a balancing act. Yeah. Figure out where we, stand. it really is. Our community is mostly, um, they want to get back to gathering and they're ready to get out and about. So one of the things we will be doing is we're going to have a mobile vaccinating site or we're working with our health districts to make this happen at the fair. You want to come in and get your vaccination? Well, gosh, you can. And let's hope, let's hope we can get to that point, but that's in one of our plans. Uh, masks, depending on if it's required by our government at that point in time, obviously recommended, um, but requiring it would certainly hinder our attendance a lot in this area. Yeah, I um I know in talking to John Sykes when I had him on the show, he was saying that you know, when it first got I think then in March and in April they were asked, "Well, are you going to have the fair in September?" You know, and at that point so many of us were still thinking, you know, probably by June this thing's going to back off and we're going to be okay. And they came out and they said, "Yeah, we're still planning a, you know, a fair. We're going through with this thing." And they got blasted from their community about being um you know you were inconsiderate and what about getting people sick and dying and and at that point that wasn't their they weren't trying to rebuff health experts they were just trying to give their community some hope and say hey yeah we're gonna get through this we're still having an affair we're not quitting yet and they realized just how critical that messaging was and yeah. to be empathetic with their community. And they weren't, they weren't trying to not be empathetic or, or be tough guys. They were just trying to, you know, be cheerleaders for their community and give them some hope. And it backfired a little bit, which like you say, it's a balancing act. You think you've got your messaging right. And Facebook's, you know, Facebook's going to let you know if you it's screw brutal. it up. <laughs> they have, Facebook is brutal. And it's I, even worse on Twitter. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, Marla, I think, said it best uh, multiple times. I've heard her say, you know, you've got to make the decision that's right for your community. And, and that's just it. Our community is so different from others. And, and you know, the, the county, both north and south, when they went forward with a full fair, their grandstands were packed the week before my fair was supposed to go off. Yep. We had a modified 4-H show that was closed um, to the public. And then we opened our livestock auction to the public, that was the only public event we had for our modified fair, uh, and it was it was tough to watch the the shows around you happen with their grandstands packed full, and you're like, gosh, you know, it would have been such a great year, but we did make the right decision for the moment and for our community at that point in time. Uh, 
still made it tough, but we had a million dollar sale. The first time we've, we've gone over a million dollars. So uh, there's, there's some positive in everything. Well, and that was the one thing that I noticed uh, all across Facebook is cancellations were made from fairs was it wasn't people coming on saying, oh, but what about the juggler? What about, you know, the guy in the fortune machine? What about the pig races? It was the people saying, what about the kids? What about 4-H? How are they selling their animals? Because those, I think at the, the end of the day, our mission in this industry is farming and ranching education for young people. We are, we're sharing it with our communities and we're training the next generation of farmers and ranchers in this country. And it was very clear from almost every Facebook cancellation announcement, the comments that followed were what about the kids and their, their animals and their livestock shows. That is what really drives these, these fairs and, I'm really glad that so many fairs were able to come up with some level of modification to be able to get those kids what they needed. Yeah, we were really blessed to make that happen. And it, like I said, it turned out to be great. The kids had a great time. And uh, yep. yeah. Now, as we're recording this on January the 19th, several fairs down in Florida are on. Manatee County, right outside of Tampa, is on in full effect. South Florida Fair is modified to do what they're calling a mini fair. Um, are y'all keeping an eye on these early 2021 fairs to kind of see how they're operating and their their mitigation practices and and whether they're working or not? Are you are you watching that? You better believe it. Uh, first off, it's super exciting. It's really exciting to see some fairs happen uh, in in any capacity um, beyond just their 4-H sale is really, really exciting to see. Um, and then I, I've been watching every live feed that's come across on those. And, uh, you know, you're watching people, they're, they're out if they're comfortable being out. And I'm assuming that those who aren't stay home, but, uh, they're doing a great job to bring their community some entertainment, some hope, some, some sense of, normalcy even though it's different from what we once knew i i think it's really exciting yeah i know i i was very excited to see um down at the fairgrounds in tampa of course the florida state fair i guess cheryl's getting ready to announce she was messaging me the other day that they're switching their dates they're getting ready to announce what they are going to be in the spring um but on the fairgrounds there in tampa they had the rv super show which goes on every i guess every year and they brought some entertainers in for that event and to see grounds acts that I know that are friends of mine actually working for a second. I was like getting a little choked up, like, okay, maybe this is the first step back towards normal. Um, and then to see my friends out at Manatee, I know Marla did, it was either yesterday or the day before she was out there with, you know, Dan West and Jim Ward and, uh, you know, being a member of the Florida organization, the Florida fairs, it's really cool to see them operating and see, friends of mine live on Facebook and it does give me some hope that maybe just maybe we're taking the first steps towards getting this thing behind us. It's been a really very difficult time for so many of us. Um, you know, I, but I'm with you. It was really exciting to see fair stuff starting to happen again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, when you're watching them, I pay really close attention to the signage I can see around and um, spacing, if they're doing that, one-way traffic flows, all these things that you're like, oh, got this implemented, or maybe we should add that. And we want that. We want to bring this normal back. So um, 
it's been just so fun watching. Like you said, I, I know who you're talking about. They were at the RV show and it's been fun watching their posts and yep. um, gosh, we all want to get back to work and a normal type of work again. Yeah. I've got some major FOMO right now, knowing my friends are down there you know, performing and getting, you know, doing what they do. And I'm sitting here going, I'm just going to keep doing the podcast until I go back into a fair again. I'm ready to go. I'm ready. We're I'm ready. To... I have I... hope we're going to get there. Some of, some of these States are going to move forward and some of them probably aren't. And it's, it, it might be another year, but, um, I think, I think some of us are going to be blessed to get back to work this year. I agree. And my gut feeling before we really see, okay, things are normal again, is still probably sitting on the 18 to 36 month range. Hopefully it comes sooner. Um, you know, part of me just hopes that now that the election's over and there, my hope is that the media calms down. Cause I feel like they have been treating this thing like the entire world is burning and it's scaring a lot of people. So hopefully now that they've got their way and they got their guy in office, maybe they'll, <laughs> maybe they'll bring it down a little. And, and I'm not trying to say this virus isn't serious. Like right. if you're elderly, if you're immune suppressed, this is, this could have some real deadly consequences to it, but it feels like the media is just, I don't know. I, I think they've gone, a lot of it was very politically driven in the coverage and you, it felt like, I don't know with you, it felt like for me, I'm watching, trying to get the best information I can to keep myself and my family safe and know how my business is going to need to adjust. And then it felt like every other week, the CDC was like, this is what it is. Oh, no, no, no. It's over this. We're changing. This is what the standard is now. And our governor did the same thing. She said, these are the, you know, this is the gating criteria we have to meet to start opening again. And we would meet it. And she would say, oh, no, no, no. We we're, This is the gating criteria now. And it, the goalposts always moved. So it was very frustrating did you yeah. guys find that up in Idaho that there was, I'm not familiar with, uh, you know, I haven't been to Idaho too often, maybe once or twice, but it, do you find that with your government that things were changing rapidly or were they more consistent? It's certainly not consistent. And I don't think it's been consistent anywhere in the country. It, you know, you talk to other fair managers in other states and, and what they're having to do versus what we're having to do oftentimes are completely opposite from each other, which is extremely frustrating when you're a planner because I mean obviously we want to okay it models this worked for Courtney this works for the OC fair this works for you know wherever whoever you're talking to at the moment it's not it's not been consistent at all and it changes all the time which goes back to that fluid plan that we were talking about you've just got to be ready to roll with the punches and get up and and adapt and yep. make it work and I I'm determined this year to make it work <laughs> somehow We've got to do it, but you're right. This was politically uh, a nightmare and it was certainly, um, you know, at some point you have to make the decision that's right for you and your family yep. as individuals. And either yep. you want to come out and you want to do things or you know it's not safe and you shouldn't. And that's, that should be your choice. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, you know, I feel like, I think about what Marla was saying when she was on the podcast with me where she talked about the inconsistency between different jurisdictions, different states and whatnot, where, you know, you could take a fair like the North Texas Fair or the West Texas Fair in Abilene who were able to open successfully and use mitigation strategies effectively. And why can't we as a nationwide take those strategies that worked in, in Texas or in other states that where they did work and apply them nationwide when her question is, you know, 
we can open and have a successful fairs, you know, successful fairs across Texas. Why is it then in Colorado they say, you know, if you have an event center with more than 12,000 square feet, you're limited to, I forget what the number was, 150 people say. Well, okay, that's great if you have 12,000 square feet, but some of these event centers that we've got are 500,000 square feet or a million square feet. What you, it's still, is it, that's the threshold. Why don't you have another threshold at 500,000 or at a hundred that, you know, and be able to get a larger event going. And there's just no consistency to it. I don't understand any of it. And I think a lot of it's probably politically driven, but at the end of the day, whether it's politically driven or not, we are at a point where we have to start getting events going, or this industry is going to be having a meltdown fast and furious. Do you think moving forward, the fair community can recover on its own? I mean, we are a very independent bunch, or do you think we're going to need a cash injection from the government of whether it be state or federal to be able to keep our fairs going? Gosh, I don't know. Um, I think that, I think that we're going to have to come together a little bit on this and, and come up with some strategies that have proven to work and not shown an uptick in, in the virus uh, from our large events. Um, but even just having something as consistent as a capacity on square footage, rather than uh, our current state in North Idaho, which is kind of bizarre to me, is 10 people indoor or outdoor is the maximum gathering. But I can go over to the movie theater and I can sit in there with 75 people right now, but I can't put more than 10 people in a 16,000 square foot building. That's that exactly what Marla's talking about. That doesn't that make any sense. Not at all. And in the process, you guys are taking a licking because I'm assuming you're a year-round facility, year-round event facility. We are, yeah. So you're losing all your non-fair rental income, gun shows, RV shows, boat shows, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. All of it's out. And the other thing is, you know, up here in North Idaho, nobody's going to enforce it. Our sheriff came out last week with a statement saying, we're not enforcing masks. We're not enforcing gatherings. We're not enforcing any of it. So go for it. Good on the sheriffs. And, and my commissioners say the same thing, but my health district is saying, no way. This right. is the governor's orders. This is what you need to do. And I think that, <laughs> boy, it's time to maybe just take a stand and say, I, I called them and said, I know for a fact I can put people in this building and I can do it safer than a majority of the stores, gyms, anywhere else I've gone to lately that are wide open. Right. We can, we can do this well. And so we're going to go for it. I think you should. And I feel like, a, I feel like our, our officials are not giving our industry enough credit because let's be real when swine flu hit, when SARS hit, when avian flu hit, when all these other pandemics have hit, we're in an industry where we've already, I mean, we deal with, with animal agriculture things like you, we understand cleanliness. And so we were probably more prepared than that movie theater across the street to deal with this. Absolutely. We understand the adjustments that have to be made. And in your case, so maybe you have a, a home show and instead of getting 10,000 people over the weekend, you only get 5,000 or 5,500. Well, as long as you're, you can still make some revenue off of that and you're not losing revenue, you're not losing money. If you can do it safely, why not? Well, and, and one, I believe we can do it safely. 
But two, we're going to get, we need to get our economy going again and strong. And until we can start having these shows that will boost our economy because people travel in, they show up, they spend their money across the street, you yep. know, they buy gas, all of these things matter in this yes. moment. And, and boy, it's just time. Well, and we've, we've talked about it with other guests on the show, the financial impact our events have on, on our communities. And certainly you get those businesses that are in the immediate vicinity around the fairgrounds that tend to hem and haw because, oh, the traffic's this and I can't, you know, it's hard to get to work. And, and you know, people don't come to my business during this week because they're all at the fair and they hem and haw. But, and I understand that and I'm empathetic to it. But, you know, when you consider overall, when for me as an entertainer, when I come into town, I'm getting gas. If I need uh, an oil change, if I need any work done on my vehicle, if I, you know, I got a hotel, I'm eating while I'm there. A lot of times I'm going, I got to make a run to Home Depot locally and, and get things that, you know, I need at the last minute for the, for the show. And that's just me. And for most fairs, there's hundreds, if not a thousand or more people that show up that need that kind of thing that descend on an area and bring economic um, vitality to an area. And we're all told, stop, you can't do that right now. Yeah. Very, very difficult. Um, my sense is I, I've, I've got my predictions um, on this thing. I don't think it's going to magically disappear, but I think that by the time spring rolls around, going to magically not be quite as big a deal as it was in an election year i think i, I, I think we're going to see what happens with, with it on this one I, I agree with you on that and i i hope i hope we're right i hope our gut is is right on this one and, uh, boy it would be really great yes because have things lighten up a little Yep. Even if it means you got to have a an, an attendance hit, you know, if you've got to limit capacity in some way, as long as you can still make money doing that. I know for a lot of uh, fairs, several of my, my fairs that I was booked with last year that canceled, the issue came down to we think we can do it safe. We know we can do it safely. But if we're looking at, you know, a 30 to 40% hit on attendance, where we're talking, you know, 60% of our normal revenue, we're going to lose money and lose it badly. And so that's, that's where several of the fairs said, I, we can do it safely, but we're going to get creamed in the process. So it was better to cut bait and, and go home. Um, but yeah, I think our industry, when you're looking around at some of these fairs, initially I thought the smaller fairs were going to be the ones that were in trouble because they probably didn't have the, the financial, you know, the rainy day fund. But if you look at a lot of small fairs across this country, they're owned by their, you know, their grounds may be owned by the county and they've got a volunteer board or they've got minimal overhead. When you compare that to someplace like Pomona, you know, LA County or Del Mar, or, there's some big time dollars involved there. And I think those fairs are in, in some, in a bit of trouble and I'm, I don't know how they're going to pull out of it. They need to start being able to have events. You know, it's not even so much like San Diego. It's not even that they need to have their fair they need to get their non-fair rental income going. Gosh, even their equestrian stuff. I mean, yep. horse people are looking for somewhere to go and play right now. So yeah. there's, there's a few places where you can and they're traveling. Yep. Unfortunately, it's, um, you know, we had to be completely locked down and, you know, magically last, last week or so, Governor Cuomo in New York and 
you know, Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago have suddenly decided that lockdowns are a bad idea for their economy. <laughs> and part of me sits here and says, I wonder what changed. Hmm. Hmm. You know, uh, we could go on. I don't want to make the, the no podcast comment. too political. <laughs> I mean, we all, we've all got our feelings on it. Um, and I, I think is uh, most, the majority of the people I deal with in this industry are a little bit more on the conservative side. I think we're all kind of understanding exactly what's happened in the last year, but I don't want to go overboard with the politics and um, you know, it's just a crappy spot to be in. Our industry as a whole is very independent. Um, we like to get things done on our own. We don't want to have to go to the government for help, but listen, as crushing as the pandemic has been enough, you know, dark talk there. What are some of the bright spots you're seeing in our industry right now? Oh boy. Uh, well, our industry, I think we've always known this. We are great at taking almost nothing and making it something. And you're seeing that more and more so today than probably ever before, because we have to get creative. We are a group of creative people. And at this moment, we're called to really bring that to the forefront. And, and our industry is exceptional at, at being creative and making things better than when we found them. Has the past year taught you anything about yourself? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing at that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know, um, number one, I'm not work meant to work from home. <laughs> Amen. Certainly am not meant to homeschool my children. Amen. Yeah. And, preach. Uh, <laughs> preach, sister, <laughs> preach. <laughs> uh, you know, we are, we are people who want to typically be around other people. And so we, pushing more and more for that uh, is important, but mostly learning about myself is I'm a planner and it's really, really hard when you've got something at the end of the tunnel that you're looking at and it constantly is moving and zigzagging. And um, I think in this year, particularly we've had to be very, um, adaptive and uh that's not an easy road for people who are planners i think and uh i'm learning i, I like to to know what's in front of me and get there and have a plan to get there so right. this jumping around has been fun and uh fun's probably not the right word most <laughs> of the time but i think it's made us at least made me stronger and more prepared for whatever might come my way. <laughs> yeah. I think one day we'll look back and realize just how much resiliency this built in our industry. You know, Absolutely. this is not the first time we faced crises. Uh, you know, uh, most of these fairs were shut down during world war two. And, um, you know, we faced political strife, we faced health crises and we continue to come back. So I think even if we do end up losing a few fairs here along the way, I think that'll be a short-term loss. And I think a lot of those fairs, once they were able to kind of, you know, things reset here in the, you know, two, three, four, five years, if they had to close, they'll be back. I think a lot of those fairs will recover. It may just be that there's a few years without that fair. Um, God, I hope we don't lose too many, but it's, you know, it's a tough spot to be in. Um, but for you, you, how long did you say you've been fair manager now? Uh, five years, five years. Yeah. So you've been in there just about long enough for this question to make sense. 
What's something you know now in this industry that you wish you'd known when you first started at the fair? Oh my gosh, politics. Nobody <laughs> writes that in the job description. Nobody says you're going to have to be involved in your local politics as deeply as you end up getting into. Um, I would say a lot of my time is spent with government relations and, uh, I, like I said earlier, I'm a pretty shy person. That's been really hard for me because you have to be a little assertive in those moments. Right. So, you know, it's a learning curve. And uh, had I known that, <laughs> I might have thought twice. No, you wouldn't have. You were <laughs> no, built I wouldn't for have. this. I'm always you up for this. <laughs> now, do you think you'll always, you'll, you'll finish your career in Idaho or are there other places that you would, you know, are there other fairs or other you know, things you might want to go do? Um, you know, I love, I love where I'm at. I love, um, my board is really exceptional. Uh, so for this moment in time, I'm really happy with where I'm at, but that, yeah, I can't pretend to know what my future holds. Right. So, yeah. and I'm the, I'm the guy who gets in a fortune machine and pretends to tell the future. I mean, if I was any type of fortune teller, I would have warned all of you what was coming. <laughs> Shoot. Maybe you could tell me. Yeah. <laughs> Hunger fortune machine kind of blew it in 2020 and uh, he apologizes desperately to everybody. Now, as you guys continue planning through this pandemic, what are some of the best resources that you have found have helped you and your team? Resources. Um, honestly, my health district here has been great. Um, we, we work really well together. Uh, they're always willing to bounce ideas back and forth and and come up with good plans for whatever we're doing. So they've been a great resource um, in finding additional resources as well. So sure. um, yeah. Well, and I think to some extent, local health departments are, are probably have a better handle on things than the CDC does just from a standpoint of not every jurisdiction is going to have the same level of you know, virus impact as others and your local health department knows a heck of a lot more about that than the CDC. Mm -hmm. So speaking of planning and resources, um, I'm curious on this. In a normal year, we all meet up at conventions and trade shows across the country, whether they're regional or, or IFE um, down in San Antonio. We do everything from education to shopping the trade shows. And I'm curious from your perspective as a, as a general manager, what tends to catch your eye when it comes to entertainment? Well, you spoke highly about your grounds acts. What is it that catches your eye as a, as a manager? Mm. Uh, well, unique, something that's different to my community. So that, you know, doesn't mean that, you know, something unique to my community is who knows what it could be. Uh, and then just the level of professionalism that, that they can bring to you and uh, their approach is important to me. Um, but yeah, mostly it's, I wanna bring something that's that's unique and different to my community. And, and boy, almost everybody out there has something that's really incredible and trying to figure out what it is you want year after year is, is quite the task. I mean, it's it's exciting. You don't make it easy for you. I want this you. person and I want this one. <laughs> And then you're just like, well, I can't afford all this. What am I going to do? Right. 
Yeah, yeah. we don't make it easy. It's I, I've always no. I always looked with wonder when we were back at IFE in Las Vegas before they moved out to San Antonio. You have we are kind of a freak show of a trade show. I mean, yeah. it's not like a trade show where it's like, oh yeah, they've got cars in there or they've got the newest technology. It's like there's a dude that's nine feet tall who's dressed up as a robot or a tree or a a guy in a fortune box or that person's painted up because they're a, a juggler. This dude's dressed up as a pirate. And all of us would walk back through the casino, back to the elevators, either on the Parasite or Bali side to get to our hotel rooms. And the looks, people would just be like, what the heck is going on here? It's incredible. My mom, like I said, was a fair manager and she'd come home from her conferences and she just loved them. And she would tell us all these crazy stories. And I honestly did not believe it. I did not believe this stuff that she was telling me. And then when I went to my first one with her, she's like, see, I wasn't, I wasn't joking. And no, it's great. It's a blast. Um, <laughs> I missed it so much this year. I did too. So heartbreaking not to get to see everybody. And it's so fun to take videos for my kids and show them, you know, all the things you see at the trade show. And, and I use a lot of their reaction too, as far as what we're going to get. Oh, so it's the so, kids. Yeah. You got to go to the kids and make the kids happy. And then that, okay, I see how you it is. Make my kids laugh. Oh, my <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of trade shows, at IFE on the last day of the trade show, do you have your badge facing forward or do you have your badge facing backwards? <laughs> That's a good question. Forward. And you laugh because you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> do not make eye contact. No. Do not look. <laughs> You get last day desperation from all of us in the trade show. Yeah. Except for me, I don't really, I find I, my trade show approach, there's years that I leave uh, trade shows and I'm like, did I even book anything? Or did I just gab with everybody and catch up on, you know, on what, you know, in the last year. Yeah. And I find most of the time that I don't book anything at the trade shows anymore because I'm just visiting with anybody. But you know what? I, I'm not a person who enjoys a hard sell. So the people I gab with and get to know and just, learn about what they do and i don't feel like you're trying to sell me are the ones i'm probably going to hire as well yeah 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 i know for for me personally the first my first ife was 2009 and i spent that first couple of years thinking well this is business this is a trade show we got to get booked and uh I, I learned pretty quickly in there that that was the wrong approach there's a handful of you out there affair managers that are like look just tell me what you do tell me the price boom we're done we're good but most, I, I would say 90% of this industry wants to visit with people, wants to get to know people. And now I just have this kind of standing relationship with a number of fair managers that I'm like, I'm not even going to send you any promo or anything. I'm just having a standing thing that just says, call me if you're ready. <laughs> and every now and then they're like, hey, you know, three years ago, we had that conversation. Well, I've got the perfect spot for you now. Can you come to my fair? Yep, sure can. Yeah. It so makes it easy. That's we're, we're all about relationships in this industry. So it, you didn't answer the question though, officially. Oh. Are you, are you badge forward or badge backwards? I will say my badge is forward, but I'm likely looking down or up <laughs> <laughs> and walking briskly. Yeah. You do get that, that last day talking to people on the trade show, uh, other vendors, you get to that point where they're like, Oh my God, I haven't booked anything. I'm really, I'm, I, I, and there's this panic. And so they start the hard sell and it's like, you should just chill out, dude. Which honestly, it's, it's probably the same thing for a lot of a lot of us as well going through there. Is 
by the end of the week, I kind of have an idea of who I'm interested in, either for that current coming year or the following year. And right. I want to get back to them and say, hey, I want you to get home, tell me if you have my dates and tell me what your prices are. So, I mean, I think we're kind of on a mission as well. Right. And, yeah. It's fun. It's interesting to see the dynamics and to see other performers and how they handle things. I can tell you the most successful performers have one of two things in common. Either one, they have the gift of gab where they don't worry about selling. They're confident in what they do and they just visit with everybody. Or two, they have something that is so unique and so powerful that they, it can't be denied. It, people, You guys, those fair managers are like, I better get on that now. Um, and then you've got the rest of them that stand there in the aisle trying to cram a flyer, a promo kit in the hands of every single person that walks by. And it's just, I sit there as a, a vendor and I'm like, oh man, you're killing me. I think in the, in the 11 or 12 years now that I've been doing IFE, I think probably maybe five or six times have I booked something on the trade show floor. Really? Yep. It doesn't happen. Most people, most of you guys I find come around, we have good conversations and then I get a call in the middle of January. Hey, we met you at IFE, our fairs, these are our dates in September. Are you available? What, you know, that's when the stuff starts to happen. And once I figured that out, life got a lot easier for me because I quit trying to quit trying to rush everything and feel the sense of urgency. Now I'm just like, you know, where does, where is my, my act going to work best? It's going to be interesting to see, I think when we do get back at it, what budgets look like, because there's two lines of thought uh, I can tell you from entertainers right now. And that is one line of thought says, we're going to do the strawberry festival, Florida strawberry festival model, which is because they're not doing a grandstand this year, there's going to be more dollars available for grounds acts. So everything's going to be fine for grounds acts. The other idea is one of the reasons they may, you know, fairs may be cutting some of that entertainment is because fairs that might've had a, you know, $250,000 entertainment budget might only have a hundred thousand dollar entertainment budget now for the next year or so. So there's going to be less bandwidth for us to, as entertainers to work with. And I have talked to performers that are like, I've heard some that say, I will not, I will not cut my price. My price is my price. I've heard some that say I'm actually raising my price and I'm the one that's like, well, that's great, but what if the fair, you can raise your price. That doesn't mean the fair's got the money to, to cover it. You know, so why don't, instead of doing all that, why don't you just add more value to what you're doing and, and do your best to get through it? I don't know. I mean, what's your, what do you think your approach is going to be in, in booking entertainment? I, I mean, I'm assuming your 21 show, most of your 2020 acts are just rolling over. Yeah, all of our acts rolled over. Uh, the change we have for us is we're going from a five-day format to a 10-day format. <clears throat> so, of course, that increases our budget. Right. Uh, gave us a little wiggle room as well. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it, but we're also budgeting quarterly right now. So we can kind of see how things evolve over the next few months. And sure. then if we get to a point where we say, it doesn't look like we're going to go at full capacity. You know, we might have to trim down a little bit. Uh, currently, we're looking at doing all of our grandstand events, and we're opening at 50% capacity. We're hoping to open things up as we go, which right. is a good sign for all of it. But it is a little scary. Um, it's very unknown. So, and I can understand how entertainers would say, gosh, I got to raise my price or or you don't need to go down in your price. You you have value coming to our shows, right. which is why we bring you. So, um, you know, I, we'll just have to see how it goes. Yeah, and like I say, I don't know that that cutting the price is the right move. Uh, 
But I do think if, if for entertainers that are out there listening, if there's a talent or something you have that you can add value to the fair that doesn't increase the entertainer's cost, um, but might help save the fair some money, then I think you should put those cards on the table at this point and see what happens. Heck yeah. Um, if you can come in an RV and I don't have to pay for a hotel, that's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> all <laughs> Especially those in a resort town. All those little things. Yeah. And you know, you guys being up as a resort town, it's the same thing when we did the Sarasota fair year, um, several years ago, we did it for a couple of years and they get board members. And I guess there's a local, maybe a local RV dealer sponsor that sends a couple used RV units out to the fairgrounds for the entertainers to stay in because they're in Sarasota and they're at, I guess the, where are they? Mid to late March. They're, you know, Gulf Coast of Florida on spring break time, the the Motel Six is one hundred and ninety nine dollars a night. Oh, good gosh! And so, yeah, I mean they they got a tricky time of year to try to to do a fair because you know they can't. Uh, hotels are like, yeah, you can book all the rooms you want. Here's the price, because they run those fairs or those hotels run at like ninety eight to one hundred percent capacity during that March and April time. So, RVs are good if you got the ability to save the fair some money. That's yeah, help it. A good move. We we are loyal when you can help us. That's for sure. <laughs> We're doing the same thing this year. We're adding in uh, RVs. We've got a local dealer who's going to bring some in, and we have a newer RV park we opened a couple of years ago. So we're hopeful that some of our entertainers will be willing to stay there rather than at the very expensive hotels we have here in Cornwall. Yeah, we you know Sarah and I were getting ready to actually this year we were going to buy our RV we were getting ready to flip our F-150 to go to a dually and then put a fifth wheel on it. And then that was like, we were starting to look in February and we were supposed to go do the Sydney Royal Easter show in Australia and then a show in, in Arizona, the beginning of May. And it was like, okay, let's get through the end of May, beginning of June. We'll have more cash on hand to be able to do better down payments and we'll be good to go. Yeah. Not so much. And then the world said, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> so we, we, we've had to unfortunately put off the RV here for a little bit, but I'm glad we did. Cause God, if we had bought that thing and then all hell broke loose, I'd be like, how am I going to pay for this thing? So, well, listen, Alexi, I'm glad I could get you on the show before we go. Everyone who comes on my show goes through a little series of speed round questions. So I'm going to ask you a handful of questions. Give me your best answer for each. All right. Are you ready? Sure. These are, these are, you know, incredibly difficult questions so i hope you're prepared question number one corn dogs or a turkey leg turkey leg <laughs> what's your favorite that wasn't very convincing what's what's your favorite thing about the fair competitive exhibits what's the last book you read <laughs> uh-huh it's the stephanie plum novels uh by janet ivanovich okay would you rather drive a car or a truck? Truck all the way. Amen. Favorite concert you've ever attended? Oh my goodness. Oh no. This is the one that stumps everybody. Really? Yeah, because I think for so many of us, we see so many concerts in this industry. It's hard to pick one. Um, I'm going to say probably the most fun concert I've been is Seether. Seether? Yeah. Wow. It was raining and it was so cool. It was just fun. Oh, well, that's cool. I dig yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, last question. If you could have a guest role on any television show, which 
show would it be? Past or present, which would it be? Ellen's Game of Games. Can I go you, on that one? You'd be on Ellen's on the Game of Games show? Can't be so fun. <laughs> cool. I always figured like if I could be on a show, I'd be like, I'd either want it to be Star Trek, The Next Generation, or Breaking Bad. I figure Walter White could have killed me. Oh, and I'd wait. be like... You, you know, don't mean like a talk show or a game show. You mean like any show? Any show. I don't... You, any show. Oh, it would have been Longmire. What, what was that? Longmire. Okay. It was cool. I never saw it. I was, I was all about Breaking Bad for a while. Because cool. they filmed it. They shot it here in Albuquerque, so... It was really cool to watch the show and be like, oh, I know where that is. I know where that is. I know where that is. Alexia, if folks want to reach out and get a hold of you, where can they find you? <laughs> Always right here at this office. <laughs> <laughs> at the fairgrounds in Coopy County. Where's, what's, the, uh, what's your fair's website? www.nisfair.fun. Uh, Fair.fun? You bet. Wow, you are fancy with the dot fun going on. No, I'm just fun. You're just fun. <laughs> it's not dot fancy, it's dot fun. You got a sense of humor on you, Alexia. I like it. Alexia Jordan, general manager of the North Idaho State Fair in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.